Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Okay, um, it's a little bit later on Thursday. And I'm running behind, so I'm going to try to do back-to-back uh, the second of the um, podcast. I think I'll be done with this one this week. Uh, fortunately, we have a uh, sponsor for the Haftorah, and that is uh, Seymour Uberfeld, uh, in father, in father uh, excuse me, in honor of his father's yard site, which is, tomorrow, which is on Shabbos. That's Pinchas ben Moshe Aaron Huberfeld. Um very nice, and Hashem Shavaliyah, as they say. Uh, let's take a look at, let's see now, what is this week is? Pashta Chodesh. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is a hard one. I would say, one minute, this is probably the hardest not to crack. I think, I'm serious, I think. Yechaskel in general is pretty tough, but this one's particularly tough, simply because it's a very weird. It's not me saying it only, but you find in Yechezkel all kind of very weird stuff. When I say weird, notice it, it doesn't comport with what we regularly know. The kind of Pesach that he describes a little bit to, uh, strange. First of all, it's in chapter 45 and 46 of the book of Yechezkel. Um, this is the later part of the book. One of the things he's talking about is the future. Um, but it's very unclear how the future is going to unfold. And moreover, he has a lot of psukim to describe carbonus and things like that. Concerning the base of Megish, which are not identical with, which, with what you find in the Chumash. It is for this reason, many will possibly recall, the Yecheskel is one of those very controversial books. Bikshu Lignos as Sefer Yecheskel. Uh, they wanted to get rid of, not including the canonization of the Bible, even though they didn't think Yecheskel himself was anything other than a prophet. So it's not like he's on from, but the stuff is so doggone obscure, you don't know what he's talking about. It'll lead people to have wrong conclusion to go off the derech. That's pretty much what it's about. It'll lead conclusion and to go off the derech. Um, and uh, except that somebody came along and reconciled it. Hanani Vichisky in Gurion, I think. And uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, here's a good example of why. Now, uh, by the way, uh, I remember. Was it in the Apeshitz controversy? Empton Apeshitz that uh, he asked the note of Yehuda, "What do you think about the whole thing?" And he said, "Any Kamias that Yonas and Apeshitz put out should be uh, buried the way they wanted to bury uh, the Book of Yecheskel, meaning nobody tied it on Yecheskel. He's not from, and we're not tying it on Yonas and Not from, but it'll lead people to to think there's something wrong with it. You get it? In Book of Yecheskel, it seems like he's arguing against the Chumash, and time Apeshitz, it looks like." Uh, he's in favor of Shabtai Tzvi. Neither are correct. Yechezkel was not against Chumash, he's a Navi. And Abishas was not against the, was not in favor of Shabtai Tzvi. He's a from God. But it looks like that. That was the argument of the Nehru Behuda. Anyway, to get to our uh, discussion today, we're in some weird stuff and when Yechezkel is seeing, foreseeing the future. Uh, and it's not exactly a future that we would 100% understand. 
Uh, he talks a lot about the Nasi. In fact, our Haftorah starts about Kol Amarti El Trumazos La Nasi Israel. But you don't understand it if you don't know the whole parak, what's coming beforehand. Yecheskel has this, um, is living, let's put it this way, he's living at the end of Bayes Rishon. He was there. I mean, not physically, but I mean, he was he was contemporary of the last part of the first temple when it went into total decadence and was destroyed by the Babylonians and so forth. It's mentioned in the book. He also sees past that. Now, why did the first temple go down the tubes? And moreover, corrupt leaders, corrupt kings. Uh, think of Yehoiakim and people like that. You know, bad news. And indeed, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, not that the chapter headings are, you know, so hotsy-totsy, but still, it's kind of the beginning of a chapter. He talks about the fact that the, uh, I want the Nisim, the leaders of the Jewish people, um, to be honest. And they weren't in the time of Bais Rishon. And because of that, they ripped off and tortured everybody. And that's one of the reasons for the general corruption of the whole system. And it's one of the reasons that led to the decadence and decline, and ultimately the sin and the destruction that was the sad end of the, um, what do you call it? You know, of the Vice Rishon. And so just a few seconds before our Haftar begins, in Perikmim Hay, Komar Shemal Kim, Rav Lachem Nesi Yisrael Chomas Vashot. Rav Lachem Yisrael. It's enough of your junk, you Jewish princes. Lenisie Yisrael, so the leaders, okay? Chomas Vashot Hasiro. Get rid of your violence and your robbery. And do some uh, honesty for a change. That's pretty rough. That's pretty direct. Right? Stop, he's the word, the Grusha. Stop this business that the Nazis used their power to screw the, the farmer and drive him off his land. Remove your uh, what's the right word? Confiscations and uh, dispossessions. That's the right word from my people. Even Rashi says, "Salku Stop chasing people off their their land. Use honest weights and measures. Whoa! So what does that tell you? That's a totally corrupt system. The rich, the company stores. Is there a Rockefeller like Rockefeller and those guys back 150 years ago? When they tortured the workers. You understand? Use honest weights and measures, etc., etc., etc. CC, that was on his mind, was uh, the corruption that was before. And therefore, in the new temple that's going to come, uh, I don't want that corruption, God says. And then, he goes on to say that in the new temple, does he mean the second, the third, many see the third? It's, you know, so unclear. He says, Call on Mars, yell There's going to be a thing called the Truma. Well, what does the Truma mean? Well, there's going to be a redivision of land or something like that among the tribes. And in addition to each tribe getting its peace, there will be a special royal peace called the Truma. So it refers to land. It's elsewhere in the, in the book. And this will be the property of the Nasi. And the people will gather there on certain occasions, as we'll see, for example, uh, 
on um, on Pesach time, which is why we read it, uh, you know, uh, this way, okay, Pesach time, and uh, they'll come to his place. And what can I tell you? Uh, they'll do their thing, and he's expected to do his thing, right? They'll do their thing, and he's expected to do his thing, and it's very, uh, you know, uh, strange. But as they say, if you read later on your book, you'll see the land will be redivided. And, you know, instead of 12, it would be 13. Instead of 13, it would be 14. And the territory itself, that'll be like District of Columbia, you know what I mean? Special Royal Zone, that'll be three parts. Part will be for the base amygdala stuff. Part will be for the Levy stuff. And part will be what we would call the Royal Compounds, Right? So, this is strange. You know what I mean? His mom is strange. And uh, it talks about the fact that the people are going to be expected to provide the prince with a certain income. A trumus, as he called it. Uh, basically, it'll be for the purpose of fixing up the new temple. And that's why he says the call on Marcial Trumazos that they'll provide the uh, the ingredients for the new carbonus, and the Nazi will be in charge of running the base of Migdash and offering the carbonus, which is screwy, because that's the job of the coin. This is what I mean when they said they read the book of Yechesk and wanted to burn it, or bury it, because it says, Okay, the Jewish people will provide him with stuff, but what does he do? Who What does that mean? The Nasi goes and does the carbonus. That's not his job. Didn't King Uziel get stricken with leprosy because he tried the Mishnacharim in the Kohen rolls? And anyway, who is the Nasi? This is obscure. Um, Rashi famously says, historians know this. Um, Rashi says, Omer Ani Shanasi Hazeh Bekon Golamadaber. Okay, so if you say it's a coin call, makes sense already. There'll be a special position for the high priest. He's the Nasi. He'll be a shtickle king. He'll have a special territory belongs to him, something like that. And he will be responsible for running on the basement of Carbonus and a Chadami. And I can tell you right now that this prophecy was fulfilled in the Second Temple. What I mean by that is that the Bayashenu was a couple hundred years, as you know. 420, according to tradition, the historians would say something more like 570. And that's that Persian Gulf. Somebody wrote me the other day to do a part in the Persian Gulf. I don't feel like doing that. But uh, just without going into all that, the gap in the years, uh, Bayashenu period, uh, there was no kings. Notice, the house of David does not appear as rulers in Bayashenu period, which is interesting, because why not? The Jews returned in time through Babel, Zerubbabel himself was from the Malchus based of it, but the Jews never made him a king. Uh, it's true that the political situation under Persia, Cyrus, Ahasuerus, those guys, was very touchy, and that's probably the reason the Jews didn't make a king, because then it would be look like they're trying to break away from the Persian Empire, and the Persian would destroy them. So what emerged in the Bayashitni period was that the leader of the Jewish people, the political leader, the titular leader, was Kongodol. <coughs> and that's the way it remained, I would say, for most of the Baishani period. 
uh, under the Persians and later under the various Greek rulers. That's why Hanukkah time, when the Greeks show up, the, Helen, the, the Macedonian rulers, you have Jason, Menelaus, and these other losers all trying for high priest position, not because they love based on mixed ceremonies, but because that really was a king. It was like the ruler. That way the Jews could have some kind of a political leadership, but it would be strictly religious, and it wouldn't look like it's a political, political, and trying to break away from the suzerainty of the imperial structure. You mean, won't get the guy angry at them, to use simple English. So Rashi's way would then kind of work. And then he would, except that you have strange carbonates. But at least the basic idea that you have at the beginning of our Torah, and who and so forth, that would work for a Congo. Right? You know? Rashi brings, and I don't understand why, neither does Rashi, he says, Shamati the Menachem Rashi says, uh, interprets it not as reference to a high priest, but to Mamash HaMelech. Uh, Menachem is Menachem Menchelbo. Menachem Menchelbo was uh, Mr. Nach in the time of Rashi. He was a contemporary of Rashi's in the 11th century. Uh, he's the father of Yosef Kro, who, who learned by Rashi and told Rashi over what his father said. Menachem Menchelbo knows with a big time of but uh, he specialized in Nach, as I would say. Not Torah part, in Nach part. He wrote a book called Pisranim. And this is old stuff. I mean, this is, if you want to learn about these guys, go to, uh, what's his name? Chachmei uh, Sarfas Harishonim. Here, I went to get it uh, from Chachmei Sarfas Harishonim from Professor Alvin Grossman. He's the king of this stuff. And that's uh, about 20 years old. And I remember buying this in Israel in the year 2003, 2004, whatever, at that Akademon thing in, in, in Hebrew. His old chapter of Menachem ben Chalva. He did the homework on this stuff. Now, uh, so in other words, Menachem ben Chalva is, is in a very important Rishon Bible commentator, but very obscure, at least to me. Because what do you mean over here, Melch? How does a Melch do the Carbonas? I don't get it. You understand? Like, how's, how's that supposed to work? That's probably what Rashi says, referring to a coin. But even if you say it's referring to a coin, you then run into the problem of the, carb- the actual carbonus that, that are brought. Because it says, for example, um, in the next passage, Barishan Becha Lachodesh Tika Parben Vakar Tomi Mechitesis Mizbeach, that um, there's going to be some special carbon, I repeat, a special carbon, a Parben Bakar for um, uh, dedicating this third temple or a second temple or whatever it is. Aren't that possible that they add a one-time carbon like that? And he'll have unusual uh, ceremonies uh, because he'll take the blood of the chattas and he'll put on the mezuzah and he'll put And then you do this and then you do it again, right? Uh, Seven days later. So it's a little bit similar to what they did in the time of the Mishkan. And then, and then you talk about Pesach. So then the Kohen is going to offer a Parchatos. What does that mean? Right? What does that mean? There's no Parchatos. 
And Rashi, here it is. Rashi over here. If you want to see something interesting this week, get a, a get for the Haftarah. Tell those who are interested in what I'm saying, or you're interested in the history. Uh, you want to get uh, the Mikris Gedolis over here in, in, in our Haftarah on uh, Pasuk Chavbeis. Uh, and he does what I just told you. Rashi says, Meaning, what is this business of the Parchatos that he's offering over here? And very other Karbonus that he's talking about. Uh, but he quotes the Gemara and he says that this famous Tan or whatever, locked himself up in an Aliyah and went to work to publish a interpretation of the book Yecheskel, meaning the hard parts, and Udrasho, and Darshan in such a way as to reconcile it with what it says in the Chumash. So I'll repeat what I said before about Apeshitz. They knew Yecheskel was a Navi. They knew he's a from guy. The words make no sense. And so there must be a way to Darshan it, even if it's perhaps far-fetched or whatever, but at least that way they could accept the book Yecheskel which has a lot of good stuff in it, which is not controversial, into the Tanakh. And Rashi says, But we don't have that commentary. I would like to know, Rashi says, with these carbonas, which are strange, in reference in our parsha, in our Haftarah today, which have to do with what the future they're going to offer up on Pesach, which has no parallel whatsoever in the Chumash. Okay? And... Uh, therefore, Rashi gives a different interpretation because uh, he's forced to. So I'm simply saying that you have this kind of um, strange business in Aftar. I don't think most, that's why I told you before, it's a hard nut to crack. I don't think most people are aware uh, when they go through the Aftar day, it seems kind of boring on the outside. Uh, I don't think they usually understand uh, how controversial it is that we're dealing with uh, in, in, over here. Okay? I mean, is this, this the way it is? So, the earlier uh, Nazis were corrupt. This one's supposed to be not corrupt. Uh, this Nazi will have a special, if it could be a coin, could be something else. This Nazi will have a special piece of karka, uh, one third of which goes to him, one third goes to Kwanim and all the rest of it. And uh, we don't know exactly what what, what the story with, with, with the Nazi is, except that the assumption is that uh, this will provide him the income, you know. And therefore, we won't be, you know, need the need need the money or something from from other people, which was a problem with the with the kings in the first temple. But really, to tell you the truth, oh, if Kesselius, but Kessel, there's no such thing as giving a politician too high of a salary. Give him a high of a salary, they still want to steal more. I mean, that's the way it goes. You know, it's it, 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 it's how it goes. So um, we find all these kinds of uh, uh, strange carbonus, as I said before, in this after we read. Because he talks about Passover and you know reminds you that there's a special carbon of Moshkodesh, even if it doesn't exactly correspond to what you and I think of on the on the carbon of Moshkodesh that's typically brought, and he's not referring to the Torah reading of Achodesh as Elachem you know the uh, the thing in Egypt, because that's not what he's referring to, but rather he's referring to some unique situation. Uh, I'll say it again. If, I mean, I'm going to tell you my suggestion. I don't know if I'm right. I'll tell you my suggestion. If Rashi's right and referring to a high priest, and we're talking about something like the Second Temple period, maybe the third, 
but something like a second temple period, in which case there was a political leader of Israel, a Nasi, but he wasn't identical with the Melch based of it. This is right, this is wrong, but that's what happened. I'll say it again, hundreds of years, the leader of the Jewish community in Judea, as far as the Galatia government was concerned, was the, uh, the the high priest. If you're interested in this subject, you know, writes about this Bariches Gadol, with all kind of unusual and strange ideas, uh, Halevi in the Doris Rishonim, or get the Victor Miller book. And he'll say, he gives a super from interpretation that the Chazad, the Chachamim, the Sanhedrin, they didn't want a king, and they were afraid of the rich people, and so they, they set up the high priest as a figurehead. That the high priest should be a flunky and listen totally to the uh, Gedolim, and that way the Gedolim, the, the Sanhedrin, will run the country. To tell you the truth, it's a little bit transposing modern Israeli politics into 3,000 years ago. Because theoretically, the Agud is supposed to be that, right? They have these politicians, but they're just there for Hesia, for the public face. They're supposed to listen to the Moetzik Dole Torah. So if they tell them support Bibi, that's one thing. If next day they change their mind and say support, I don't know, uh, you know, Lapid, they'll do that also. You know what I mean? In other words, they're just supposed to be a figurehead. So the theory was the Nasi will be, you know, that kind of a figurehead. But, and and eventually, it worked for a while, but eventually it broke down. Then you had the trouble with Hanukkah. I mean, that's the theory of Halevi in the Doris Rishonim. Uh, how this stems exactly is festival, as I said before, is hard to put together. <clears throat> anyway, then we transition to what they call Chapter 46, which again is also very weird. And it's kind of funny to me because he talks about the basic mix, the way sometimes you talk about large synagogues. Um, I've seen, and so have you, you know, sometimes they have a shoulder during the week they dive it in the base medrash. And on Shabbos they dive it in the main sanctuary. So you come to a shul and it's actually closed for most of the week. But on Shabbos and Yantav it's open because that's when you get the crowd. As Mama Shabbos describes the base of Mikdash. It's so funny. He says, Kim, beginning of 46, The gate shall be closed. Only on the Shabbos Rosh Chodesh when there's a crowd. Only then uh, do, you do, 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 do you do that. I mean, that's uh, kind of strange. Okay? And um, who is it here? The Matsuda says, Yes, that generally speaking, during the regular week, Beis is a pretty quiet place. The Kohanim do, I guess, the... Um, Regular kobonis of the day and that sort of thing. You know, if the odd ball here and there comes with a carbon or a carbon so of course they take care of them, they service them. But it's not a mob scene like you have on Shabbos and like you have on on Rosh um, and you have on Yom Tovim. Obviously, Pesach is a super mob scene. And so for some reason, he goes in that whole description, it'll be cut, then the Shabbos will be open, and then Nasi will come, the king or whatever, and he'll have a special seat, and the people will have their special places. And they go in this way and they go that way. So you see the Nasi will have like box seats and special. Now here comes the controversial part to my mind. It's the end actually of the of the Haftar today. So this Nasi will be a pretty impressive individual. Uh, and it'll be rich too. And uh, have special privileges in basic English. Well, power corrupts. And it sounds like power is going to corrupt then as well. Because... It says here, um, in here you go, in Tezayin, 
If the Nasi, let's say the king, or the Kohen Gadol, whatever you prefer, right? So, um, if he gives a present of land to one of his kids, then it belongs to his kids. Uh, nobody can take it away. Okay? Um, because that's going to be, a, you know, that's the royal privilege. And the idea goes like this. It's the ancestral land. On the other hand, if he gives a piece of land to one of his servants, not his kids, not the princes, uh, so that's open for abuse. Remember Shmuel, in the book of Shmuel, Olive says, if you get a king, he'll take away the land, he'll give it to his friends and all the rest of it. See, Cheska's trying to function for that. If he gives it to one of his servants, it, it you know, it, what do you call it? Uh, it's temporary. It's uh, up to Yobel, and then it goes back. It only goes permanently to his own family. So the king may be tempted to take land that belongs to others and give it to the servants. Do not do that. So the end of our Haftorah is a warning against corruption for either the high priest, who later did become corrupt in the second temple period, or maybe some Nasi. Hopefully it's not for the Mashiach time. Don't go and try to cheat people out of their land. Take it away from them. If the king wants to give a present, let him use his own karka. Not a situation where he says, I'd like to give my kid some land, so I'm confiscating your house and giving it to him. Don't be like that. So you don't kick people out of their ancestral land. That is a strange ending for our Torah. Because it's like a warning against power corrupts absolute, power corrupts absolutely. You, the prince, will be tempted to give away goodies. That's how politicians stay in power. That's how kings remain, you know, kings. How even possibly priests sometimes remain high priests. Uh, don't do what they did in the first temple. Because in the first temple, that's obviously what he's referring to. The kings gave away land of others. <laughs> so their own land they kept, and obviously bequeathed to their children. But when it came to land, which is the most valuable of the resources, you know, he took from other people. And what was the result? Yafutza on me, uh, B'nai Yisrael. Which can either mean Klai Yisrael was exiled, or Pashib Shot, which I hold is the real shot. And that is people became dispossessed of their lands and then wandered around the country, landless peasants, which is a real bummer. Here you are, this has been your farm for generations, and then comes King Plony Almoni and takes the land away, and you have no redress. Yolanda probably is a as a as a as a peasant, as a serf, as a slave. So I tell you again, it's a hard haftorah to crack in the sense of doesn't sound so lofty. And you know, why this was chosen exactly for the um Parsha Chodesh, I'm not sure, except that it refers to, you know, the the carbon on Rosh Chodesh, although it's not the one we use, and it refers to Chag HaPesach, but not exactly the way we do it. So uh, it requires a great deal of study. That's all I'm saying. Uh, it's interesting in that regard, but it requires a good deal of study. So with that, I want to thank Sim Ruberfell for... Uh, for sponsoring this again in memory of his father, the Shabbos. And uh, with that, I think I wish everybody a good Shabbos this week.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.